hey there spooky kids i'm sarah and this is another episode of where the monsters are i'm here with lou hello everyone and today i'll be talking about a place that is said to be one of america's most haunted houses before i start i just want to ask if you enjoy the content we create please do give us a follow and a like and also a review if possible and if you like the podcast share with your family and friends we'd love to reach even more of you lovely people out there So come and join us on social media as well. Okay, so the Myrtles Plantation is located in St. Francisville, Louisiana and was built in 1796 by General David Bradford. And as I mentioned before, it is said to be one of America's most haunted houses. So if you happen to go to the Myrtles Plantation, you will see a beautiful building in a Creole cottage style which was the general style of plantation houses that were built in the 19th century. The original house consisted of six bay windows and three dormers in the roof, until it was sold in the 1830s, after which time the house was extended to the south to almost double its size, with a new double-doored entrance and three more bay windows. The beautiful entranceway had original hand-painted stained glass windows which were etched with the French cross. Now the French cross or the cross of Lorraine is a two-barred cross. The first bar is said to represent the death of Jesus while the second represents his resurrection and it was used in the year 800 by Christian sects in the Orient. Godefroy de Bouillon, the Duke of Lorraine, flew this cross as his standard when he captured Jerusalem in 1099 during the First Crusade. In recent times, the Lorraine Cross was used by General de Gaulle as a symbol of freedom in the French resistance during World War II, and it has also been chosen as the symbol for the global fight against tuberculosis. The symbol of the cross was also used by the Celts as a protection against witchcraft, ghosts and vampires, as well as providing protection against evil spirits, which was the reason that the French cross was used to adorn the entranceway of the Myrtles Plantation House. The main feature of the house is the long veranda that extends the entire length of the house and wraps around to the south end. Along with its cast iron railings with their elaborate grapevine design it is a very impressive building to see. The inside is no less impressive. It has 22 rooms that are spread over two floors. The spacious hall runs along the entire length of the house with a featured French Baccarat crystal chandelier that weighs over £300. The flooring and most of the windows are still to this day the originals. To the left of the hall is the music room and the only bedroom on the first floor. It is named after General David Bradford. The main rooms of the house are found to the right of the hall and the walls of the original house were repositioned to create four large rooms that were used as ladies and gentlemen's parlours, a formal dining room and a games room. The second floor features five bedrooms all with ensuite bathrooms. The largest bedroom, known as the Judge Clark Woodruff Suite, is the only room that can be reached by the main staircase in the entry hall. The other four bedrooms are accessed by a back staircase. The landscape of the plantation is centred around a large pond which has a small island in the centre with a gazebo that is accessed by a bridge. And to the rear of the house is the oldest part of the structure which is now known as the General Store and is the area that the General Bradford lived in while the main part of the house was being built. 
In the present day, this area is now used as the gift shop, offices and a laundry area and also the guest breakfast room. There's also another structure to the south of the house that is the restaurant and throughout the rest of the grounds there are more modern wooden cottages that are available for guests to stay in. Okay, so that gives you an idea of the look and feel for the place. Now let's go back in time and find out some more about the history. In 1781, David Bradford arrived in Washington County. His family were the founders of the academy that later became Washington and Jefferson College, and his sisters married prominent local attorneys. Bradford gained his bar degree and in 1783 became Deputy Attorney General for Washington County. He served in Pennsylvania and Virginia because he was a landowner in both states and in 1788 he married Elizabeth Porter and the same year they built one of the first stone houses. He brought four slaves in 1789 but freed them all in 1793. In 1794, General David Bradford was forced to flee from President George Washington's army because of his leadership role in the Whiskey Rebellion. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, the Whiskey Rebellion was a rebellion against the federal government in the US when some of the farmers in western Pennsylvania rebelled against the federal government for putting tax on whiskey. And selling whiskey was how people traded things in that area. But the farmers in other areas did not need to sell whiskey, so for that reason, an excise tax was put on it. But the farmers refused to pay the tax, and when officials turned up to collect it, they were attacked by angry mobs. Bradford agreed with the rebellion and assumed leadership of the insurrection in Washington County. And in August 1794, he led a militia of between five and 7,000 men on a march to Pittsburgh to protest the tax. This angered the president and he ordered the federal militia to put down the rebellion, leading the troops himself as far as Bedford. The legend is that Bradford escaped out of a back window in his house minutes before Alexandra Hamilton knocked on his door to arrest him and galloped by horse to McKee's Rocks where he set off down the river on a small boat firing shots at his pursuers that were on the shore. In reality, his story was way less exciting but also way more interesting. He made his way to Pittsburgh but at a leisurely pace and sailed down to Ohio from there completely unhassled by federal troops who had no interest in arresting a prominent figure and making the whole current situation much worse. It is not known whether his reason for departure was even related to the rebellion, as at around the same time Bradford had argued a case for a slave who should have been freed because his owner had failed to register him properly. He won the case and the angry slave owner threatened he would kill him. Either way, Bradford did escape justice by resettling in Louisiana where he obtained 650 acres of land and began to build a new home. The Myrtles Plantation was built in 1796 and at this time was named Laurel Grove. General Bradford lived there for a good few years alone while his wife continuously petitioned President Washington to pardon her husband but he remained a fugitive until President John Adams pardoned him for his role in the rebellion and in 1799 he then moved his wife Elizabeth and their five children there and they then went on to have five more children together. General David Bradford died in 1808 of yellow fever and his widow continued to run the plantation until 1817 
when she handed it over to her son-in-law, Clark Woodruff, and her daughter, Sarah Matilda. They had three children, Cornelia Gale, James, and Mary Octavia. But by 1824, Sarah Matilda and her two children had died of yellow fever. When Elizabeth Bradford passed away in 1831, Clark Woodruff and his surviving daughter, Mary Octavia, moved away from the plantation, leaving it to be run by a caretaker, until 1834 when he sold it on to Ruffing Gray Sterling, who restored the plantation, doubling the house in size and filling it with expensive imported furniture from Europe. It was at this time the name of the house was changed to the Myrtles, after the crepe Myrtles, a type of plant that grew in the area. Ruffing Gray Sterling died in 1854, leaving the house to his wife. The Myrtles survived the American Civil War, although most of its fine furnishings were stolen. Mary Sterling hired William Drew Winter to help manage the plantation in 1865. He then married her daughter Sarah, and they went on to have six children. One was a daughter named Katie, who died at the age of three from typhoid. The toll of losing the family fortune in the aftermath of the war forced the family to sell the plantation in 1868 but they were able to buy it back again two years later. In 1871, William Winters was killed on the porch of the house. His wife and her mother remained at the plantation until 1878 when Sarah died. Mary passed away in 1880 and the plantation was then passed on to her son Stephen, but it was so heavily in debt that he sold it on in 1886 to R&D Brooks, who then sold it again in 1889 and the plantation continued to change hands until 1891, when it was purchased by Harrison Milton Williams. In the early 20th century, the land surrounding the house was divided among Harrison's heirs, and then in 1950, the house itself was sold to a Marjorie Munson, and it was her who first noticed the strange things happening there, which resulted in the Myrtles becoming known as being haunted. In the 1970s, it was brought by James and Francis Kermie Myers, who ran the Myrtles as a bed and breakfast. Francis Myers also wrote a book about the plantation, and it was her that named it the most haunted house in America. And the current owners, John and Tita Moss, continue to open it up for tours and guests to this day. So now we all know about the history of the Myrtles, Let's find out more about why it became known as the most haunted house in America. Well, for starters, the plantation was supposedly built on top of an ancient Indian burial ground and is at present supposedly the home of at least 12 ghosts. There have been reports of 10 murders occurring in the home, but records only actually show one, which was the murder of William Winter. He was shot by a stranger on the front porch and managed to stagger inside the house where he died on the 17th step of the main staircase whilst trying to climb the stairs to the second floor. Visitors and staff at the hotel have reported hearing his footsteps climbing up to the 17th step where he died. The most popular ghost at the plantation is one named Chloe. Although there's nothing to say she actually ever existed, She's reported to be one of the slaves and the mistress of Clark Woodruff, who pressured her into having an affair with him while his wife was pregnant. 
When he decided to end the affair, Chloe became paranoid and it is said that Woodruff caught her listening at the door to his study one day and as a punishment, either him or his wife cut off her ears. She was from then on always seen wearing a green turban. There are a few different reasons as to the next part of her story. Some sources say she did it as an act of revenge, others to gain favour by curing them when they got ill, as healers in the South were amongst the most respected people in the community, and if she could heal the family, she would be safe and would not have to endure the hard work of the fields. But either way, her plan backfired when she baked a cake for one of the Woodruff children's birthday parties and laced it with the extract of oleander leaves, which are extremely poisonous. Woodruff, however, didn't eat any of the cake, but other members of the family did, and the dosage was lethal, killing three of the family members. The three are supposedly Woodruff's wife Sarah and two of their children, but on record it is said they were to have died of yellow fever. But if you believe the story about Chloe, you know her life didn't end that well either. She was hung from a tree on the plantation by the other slaves who were said to have either been so upset by the incident or as a less cruel punishment to what she would have received from Clark Woodruff himself. Her body was then weighed down with rocks and thrown into the Mississippi River. And and that's true? Well, we don't know. All historical records do not support this legend and there is nothing on record that the Woodruffs ever even owned a slave named Chloe or any slaves at all. If you remember her dad, that Sarah's dad, was David Bradford and he freed all his slaves. So it's more than likely no. Right, okay. Um, Another version is that Sarah and her daughters survived the poisoning and Mary lived on into adulthood, but then Sarah James and Cornelia Gale succumbed to the yellow fever. The next family that lived in the house were Ruffin Gray Sterling and his family. Their family also saw its share of tragedy, as Ruffin Gray Sterling and five of his children would succumb to typhoid and die on the property, and then his son-in-law would later be shot and killed on the front porch. The very first sighting of a ghost at the Myrtles plantation was in the 1950s by its owner at the time, a lady named Marjorie Munson. She reported seeing a ghost in a green turban. In 1984, a journalist from Life magazine visited to write a piece on the architecture of the over 200-year-old building. The journalist reported seeing two children who called out to him by name then disappeared. Francis Kermy Myers who with her husband were the owners at the time, confirmed his suspicions in the book that Francis wrote about the plantation. The current owner, Tita Moss, and her husband purchased the property from the Myers. She said they had heard the tales that the Myrtles were haunted and she knew Francis had written a book on it, but they believed it was just a marketing scheme and at the time of purchase never actually believed any of that was true. For the first seven years, her family lived on the second floor of the mansion and they carried on running the bottom floor as a guest house. But only two weeks after they moved in, Tita experienced her first taste of something supernatural when a ghost called out her name in her husband's voice. She said her husband was not at home at the time. She called her friend who was an expert on the supernatural who told her that spirits were welcoming her into the house by using a voice that she was comfortable hearing. She said the very next week she heard another voice and it was the voice of her close childhood friend. 
This would be the first of many things that the Moss family would encounter. Her sons would often see apparitions of children around the home and they began to question whether they'd made the right decision to move there. But one day, an incident happened that would change their lives forever. It was 1993 and their youngest son Morgan was just 10 months old. He was in the care of the nanny and Tita was working in her office typing out the menu for the restaurant. She said she suddenly heard a voice. It was a woman's voice, raspy, similar to Lauren Bacall's, and it said, check your baby. Tita ignored it, thinking she was just tired, and carried on typing. Check on your baby, the voice said again. And this time, she decided not to ignore it, and went to Morgan's nursery, and when she got there, he was missing. She ran around the house, calling his name, before she finally headed out into the brick courtyard, and there he was, all alone, toddling toward the edge of the pond. She screamed his name and ran over to pick him up, and when she did, she said there was a weird sensation, like a warm blanket enveloping the two of them. She said it felt so real it was like she could actually feel the fabric. Then the same voice that she'd heard in the office said, you need not worry, your family will never be harmed here. She said that this was the transformation for them, that they knew they'd made the right decision moving there. And she now truly believes that the spirits in that house are actually angels protecting them. A member of staff, Esther Eby, who has been the director of tourism at the Myrtles for over 30 years, also believes the ghosts are friendly. One of the most memorable moments for her was when she first saw the ghost of a child. She said, I saw a little girl coming up the walkway with her mother and father and the man asked for tickets for him and his wife and I said, what about your daughter? He quickly went from smiling to frowning and said, we haven't got any children. But Hester insists she saw a little girl walking just behind them. She was so certain of the fact that she was going to tell the little girl how pretty she was. She had long blonde hair and was dressed in an antique white dress and was skipping behind her mother but the father was very serious when she asked him, so when the lady walked up, she didn't mention the little girl, and when she looked again, she could not see her anywhere. She said that after the couple had gone inside on the tour, she went back out to look for the little girl. She walked up the porchway to the front door, and when she went to turn the handle to go inside, she heard a giggle. Hester turned to see the girl at the north end of the porchway. She said, hello there, then turned and disappeared again. Other legends of hauntings at the plantation are the ghost of a Native American woman, supposedly because of the fact the house is said to be built on a Native American burial ground. During the Civil War, the house was ransacked by Union soldiers who apparently murdered three people in the house. Although there are no records to support this, there is a blood stain in one of the doorways the size of a human body that sometimes appears and will not clean away. In the grand hallway, there's an antique mirror that is said to hold the spirits of Sarah Woodruff and her two children, Cornelia Gale and James. According to old customs, mirrors were covered after someone died in the house. But when Sarah and her children died, all of the mirrors were covered except for one which was forgotten and it trapped the spirits of Sarah and her children inside it, never allowing them to move on from the house. They have been seen in it on occasion by people and are known to leave their handprints on the mirrored glass. 
Another spirit that is said to haunt the plantation is a young girl who died in 1868 after she'd been treated by a local voodoo practitioner. She is said to appear in the room where she died and has been reported to practice voodoo on people who sleep in the room. The plantation has also been used as a set for movies, one of which was The Long Hot Summer starring Paul Newman and they were not safe from witnessing their own paranormal encounters either. While filming, cast and crew members reported furniture moving around on its own with no apparent way of explaining how it happened. So what do you think? There are many tales surrounding the Myrtle's plantation. Most of them do not have any factual basis and are most probably just stories. For example, Chloe almost certainly didn't exist. Either that or her name was not actually Chloe. And Sarah and her two children, who were supposed to have been poisoned by her, most likely did just die of yellow fever. Yet a past owner says guests would regularly see the apparition of a young girl wearing a green turban throughout the house. And she also claims to have caught Chloe on camera when taking pictures of the house to secure an insurance policy for the home in case of fires or natural disasters. When the picture was developed, a human figure can be seen, but the owner said there was no one in that area at the time she took the picture. And there is no record of any of the many murders that have been reported in stories over time, apart from that of William Winter. But anywhere that is as old and has as much history as the Myrtle's plantation, he's bound to pick up a few ghost stories and tales over the years. And who can really say whether they're real or not? I guess the only way you can truly know is if you ever find yourself in Louisiana, why not book a room and spend the night? And that spooky kids is the Myrtle's Plantation. So Lou, anything you want to add? I don't know what I expected. I mean, I I said to you before we recorded that I've tried to stay away from it. Mm. I didn't actually know anything about the Myrtle's Plantation. So I I don't know what I was actually expecting. But I mean, it's funny that it's again a Native American Indian burial ground. It just always reminds me of poltergeists. It does. (laughs) And it always seems to be that's the excuse for everything. I'll be honest, I don't think I'd want to stay there. Oh, see, I would. I'd really would like. Yeah, I mean, and if you see the pictures of the place, it, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's really nice. Oh, I'll have to look for pictures. I've not seen it, so yeah. I'll have to look. We'll have to put some on Instagram then. Yeah, I've got some pictures. I've got that picture of Chloe as well. And also, there was some people that were visiting there, like guests or tourists, and they took a photograph. And in the window behind them, there's their little girl with long blonde hair, like a but a you know a oh. ghost. Apparent. And also the mirror, people have took photographs of the mirror with the handprints on and every time they clean the mirror, they just, they come, they appear again. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So the, yeah, because that woman took a photo and she saw a woman with a turban, didn't she? Yeah, I mean, you can see a woman stood in the picture, but she swears there was no one there because she was taking the photos for like an insurance policy. So, you know, she'd made sure that there was... Wow. No one in the area. Oh, which took that's me. interesting. Yeah. The thing that you were saying about there's no record of the murders, I guess going back that far, if there were murders, I mean, if they were wealthy or rich or whatever, they may have either tried to cover it up or... And also records aren't that great, I guess, no. going back then. No, I guess not. And, and some of those murders happened in the Civil War, so they're not going to keep records of that. No. And at the same time, some of the, I mean, there are a lot of family members that have died in that house over the years, so the ghost could just be them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also people that have 
claim to have seen slaves around the house just asking if there's any jobs they can do and stuff like that but that David Bradford he didn't have slaves or anything like that no that's right because within a few years he'd uh yeah I think he had them for maybe three four years and then he freed them all unless that Clark Woodruff did take slaves on after he'd passed because he was the son-in-law wasn't he yeah but there's no record of them ever having any slaves because they used to have to keep records of Mm. like ownership didn't they and yeah yeah because they, they, were property, they got no they? yeah i mean they got no right records of owning any slaves oh okay that's why you know the chloe character the, the the girl chloe there's no evidence she actually ever existed could it have been then rather than them being slaves people might assume they're slaves but they could have been employees yeah maybe yeah, yeah. i don't i mean i don't know we no. wouldn't know that's interesting mm. I don't know what I was expecting, whether it was murders or ghosts. I wasn't sure where it was going to go. Yeah. No, it was interesting. Yeah, it was a bit different. So it was Louisiana, wasn't it? Yeah, St. Francisville, I think. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right then, well, okay. Thanks again to everyone who's listened to this and any of our other episodes too. We really appreciate you all for taking the time to listen to us tell our weekly tales. (laughs) And we really do enjoy doing this, but it makes it all the more worthwhile knowing that you're out there listening to. We will put the pics up on social media. As I said before, I've got a couple of the ghosts that have been captured, one of which is supposedly Chloe, the one that the owner took for the insurance claim. So, yeah, have a good week, everyone. And sweet dreams, spooky kids. See you next time. Bye. Bye.